0: Welcome this morning to Willow Park Church. I'm happy that you have joined us. In fact, I'm delighted for all that God is doing and the way that God is working. I hope you've arrived here expectant, expectant to hear God's voice, expectant to know him speaking to you. And as you will hear uh, from what's taking place, we continue to reach out and to minister to people. The drive-ins have been so wonderful. People turning up, waving at people, connecting with them. I've loved it. And also, I've loved uh, the pursuit drive-in. Wonderful. You know, those young adults, they turn up and they bring their dinner with them. One car I went and chatted to had their Wendy's food there, another McDonald's, another a Chinese. And of course, there were the healthy guys with eating bananas. You know who you are. It just shows that even though we are in a pandemic, we can create community and connection in wonderful, creative ways. Why? Because we're passionate about our church. We're passionate about what God is doing. This is the time for the church to do great things. And we're starting to hear stories of lives that are being changed. I was talking to one pastor in the heart of Vancouver that through the pandemic, he has seen 1,200 people respond to the gospel in Vancouver on their online services, responding to the call to become Christians responding to the call of getting right with God. And I think of all the things we've done and the way that the Lord's been at work uh, changing, challenging lives. I'm optimistic that out of this pandemic... Uh, God will do great things. And I want you to believe that. I want to encourage you with that, that God will do great things. And certainly on Monday evening, when we gather for Willow One Prayer, the final prayer event on this stage, we'll be celebrating, we will be worshipping and we will be praying that this is a time for God to do great things. That's what I really feel in my heart. I really feel it. Uh, when I pray about the pandemic and I'm praying about the future of the church, there is definitely a lot of negativity. Definitely people are feeling uh, blue and feeling down. A friend of mine uh, leads an organisation in, in Britain and part of their job is to connect with churches and pastors. And he just said, you know, so many of them are feeling... Despondent, so many of them are feeling down, are feeling low. But then there's those that are experiencing absolute work of God in their church. And I believe that because we've taken the position of mission and not maintenance, because we've taken the position to keep pushing out and to keep reaching out, God is God's going to bless those prayers. And what a three weeks of prayer we've experienced. So I'm I'm excited about our worship now as Luke comes and leads us. I'm blessed by the commitment of our musicians and their willingness to lead us into the presence of God. So get comfortable and uh, take time to prepare your elements where you can Get ready and be able to focus on the bread and the wine as you allow and create a holy space between you and God. Pastor Jordan is preaching at 33, Glenn is preaching at South. And so we are looking forward to a great weekend at Willow Park Church. Father, we welcome you now and pray that you will bless our time together. Come and fill our living rooms, our rooms where we're gathering with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Wherever we are, I pray that your word will touch hearts and our worship will honour you. Come, Lord Jesus, and be present and be at work amongst us. Amen. Amen.
1: Hello, Willow Park Church. We're so happy that you guys joined us. Would you, as we sing and as we rejoice with our God, would you sing with us and would you express your joy and your thanks to the Lord with us as we're doing it? And and I just want to pray to start us off and get our hearts right. And as we sing this first song, Fall Afresh, um, God, our prayer is that your spirit would fall afresh on us. Our prayer is that we would, our souls would awaken to sing out your praise, Father, because we've seen what you've done in our lives every day, and we see what you've done on the cross for us. How our sins are forgiven, and we have we have every reason to rejoice, Father. And I know that not everybody listening is going to be feeling that. They're going to be feeling that like they have been in some hard times of feeling illness, and and we don't want to ignore that. God, I just pray that you give us all the strength to even in the middle of our of our. Um, our tough times, that we would still be able to worship you. Even when we don't feel you close, that we'd still be able to worship you and see that you are good, and that you make all things work together, and that you're with us even when we can't feel you. Even when we don't see what you're doing, you're with us. So would you awaken our souls, Holy Spirit come, in Jesus' name, amen. Would we express our joy to you now? Would you awaken our soul to see what you are doing and what you have done, Jesus? Holy Spirit, come. sing this next song make room I pray Jesus that our hearts would make room for you God that we would actually give you time and space to move God the Psalms say that the helpless commit themselves to you and Father we want to come and say that we're helpless we can't do anything as by ourselves we need you we need to make room for you because there is life pleasure forevermore sing joy in your presence, God. So as you make room, would we make room in our hearts for you right now, Jesus? Would we worship you?
2: This is my surrender. Yes, and I will make
1: enter, that you'd be the most important thing we have, that you would be something that we cannot live without. I pray, Jesus, that you would open our eyes to see you, to know you, know what you've done for us on the cross. Would you open our eyes as we listen to the sermons? Father, would your spirit move through them? Would you teach us, convict us, and make us more like you, Jesus? We love you. Bless the speakers. Bless the rest of this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, thanks for joining us.
0: A perfect song. Those lyrics make room. I think we've all got to choose to do that. And as we step into communion, we make room to remember. We make room to celebrate. We make room to examine our own lives. And we make room for the Holy Spirit to come and... Guide us and lead us. Father, I thank you for the bread. I am so blessed, so blessed by what you achieved on the cross for me, for all of us. That you broke the power of sin, you freed humanity, you brought forgiveness and redemption that our lips can speak blessings. We can come close to you. We can know your presence because your body was broken for us. So Father, bless this bread in the name of God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And we thank you as we remember the sacrifice of Christ. as you hung upon the cross your blood was shed for us every drop represented the forgiveness every drop represented the cleansing power every drop represented the love of god you took all of our iniquities you took all of our condemnation. You took all of our guilt and bore our shame on that cross. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that takes away the sins of the world. Amen. Often, I do reflect and spend time just walking my mind through the different aspects of the cross. Different moments. And I'm always reminded that he went on that journey with me in mind. It's overwhelming at times. It is. Can't help but acknowledge your love and your grace for jesus your the grace of god that was shown for us Hmm. well are we going to hand over now uh for the willow one news and you can hear all about the exciting things that go on at willow park church enjoy
3: hello willow park church my name is courtney thank you for joining us at church online here is your family news Have you tried one of our drive-in church services yet? We have two service times available at 10:30 a.m. and 5:30 p.m. for pursuit every Sunday in the parking lot at Willow Park Church on Highway 33. There is no pre-registration required but please arrive early as we are limited to 50 vehicles at a time. Plus under the current restrictions we are able to offer in-person kids church during the drive-in service. Kids Church will only be available at the 10 30 a.m. service. We hope to see you there. Families with kids, we invite you to join the Willow Park Kids team for a night of online interactive games for the whole family. To attend, simply click on the Zoom link on our website and get ready to have some fun. Visit willowparkchurch.com games to join. Join us tomorrow night at 7 p.m. for our Willow One prayer service. This is a great opportunity to gather as an entire church family to seek God together and celebrate all that he has done during our 21 days of prayer. Learn more at willowparkchurch.com slash willow one prayer. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service.
4: Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. It's Willow Park Church, our south location. My name is Glenn. I'm one of the pastors here at Willow Park Church, and uh, I'm just excited to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning. We're continuing in our series in Daniel, and we're asking the big question, how do I live as a follower of Jesus in this culture that seems to be so opposed to everything that Christianity stands for, you know, whether it's been uh, with our ideas or our morals or our, our ideals, um, it's just that we live in this culture that seems to be against that. So how do we flourish, how do we thrive in this, uh, in this culture as Christians? Before we get there though, just a couple of things. This last week, last Tuesday, Sarah and I led one of the, I think, eight groups that we've got running for uh, the marriage course that is run by Alpha. Alpha. Um, Almost 250 people are involved in that. Uh, We had an amazing response when we advertised the marriage course, and Sarah and I did the course while hosting as well, Uh, Pastor Phil and Pastor Jordan and Pastor Jeremy and all our wives, uh, and then we've got church leaders all hosting different groups. It's just been an amazing response, so thank you for praying for that. If you want to join, uh, you are a week behind, but it wouldn't be too late if you wanted to uh, join one of the groups, you could catch up a little bit. If you want to do that, if you email Louisa L. Weeb at WillapartChurch.com, she doesn't know I'm saying this, so she's probably going, no, but uh, she would be happy to help you. Uh, She's always happy to help. So uh, then we'd love to get you signed up. We've got some really interesting things happening over the next few weeks involving families and kids, so please make sure you Keep checking the website and uh, we'd love to keep you filled in with that. So if you've got your Bibles, let's uh, let's go to Daniel chapter 2. Uh, Pastor Jeremy shared from the first half of this book uh, of chapter 2 last week and did a brilliant job. And I appreciate him filling in while, uh, while I wasn't here. And so now we're doing the second half of this chapter. And again, the question we're asking is how do I live as a follower of Jesus in this post Christian, unbelieving, and sometimes unbelievable uh, culture. How do I do that? And so what we've got is this story, and we've we've spent about four weeks looking into it. King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, the most powerful nation and empire in the world at that time, and King Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of Babylon, and his people carried God's people into exile. And when we think of the word exile, sometimes we sanitize it a little bit. Exile literally means they came, they did descended and they destroyed. They killed some people, they sold other people, and then they took other people off into slavery back to Babylon. And they focused as we saw in chapter 1 on the young, the professional, the good-looking if you like, the hyper-intelligent, and they really wanted to train them in the way of Babylon. And I've got time today to jump into why and how they did that. Encourage you to listen to some of the previous messages, but essentially they targeted this group and especially this group of four that Daniel is focused on, the book of Daniel. And they're teenagers. They're 15, 16-year-old And they are rising stars, if you like, in God's people. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, I want them. I want you to train them for three years in the ways of Babylon. And and this, again, is just such a difficult thing for us to understand what that would have been like. New culture, new language, new customs, new tradition, new religion. It would literally be like us taking our children out of their safe, comfortable, sometimes Christian-educated environments and putting them into satanic. School In a completely different country where they speak a completely different language. And so Daniel, he has his name changed along with three of his friends. And then in chapter 2, we have this interesting scenario presented where the king has this dream. And he calls all the wise men of Babylon together and says, I want you to interpret this dream. But I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. And if you get it wrong, I'm going to kill you. And they kind of panicked. And sure enough, the king, true to his word, decided, right, I'm going to kill all the wise men in Babylon. And that included Daniel and his friends. And so uh somebody went around to Daniel and said, This is what's going to happen. And uh and Daniel is really interesting, the back end of chapter, uh, sorry, the beginning of chapter two, he prays and he praises God, and then we pick it up in the the next verse, which is verse 24. And what we're going to do is we're just going to work through this chapter section by section. And what it does is it actually speaks for itself when it comes to how do we live in our culture. I'm just going to let the scripture and Daniel's character and Daniel's responses speak for themselves and we have much to learn. Parents, there is much here that we can teach our children when it comes to how they live submerged sometimes in this culture. And so we're just going to read through it. I'm going to stop. We're going to talk a little bit and then we're going to apply it uh, as to how it works in our own lives. So Daniel chapter 2 and verse 24. It starts this. Then Daniel went in to see Arioch. Notice it's Daniel's initiation to go and see the king. He's not running away from the king, knowing that the wise men, and Daniel is classed as a wise man, clearly, in Babylon, which in itself is amazing, because that means that he had risen through the ranks, he had done well in satanic school, and uh, he actually was now classed as a wise man in Babylon. He might have still only been 19, 20 years old at this stage, we really don't know, but he sought out this guy called Ariok, whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men of Babylon. Babylon. So he's actually going to go and find the murderer. He's not running away from the murderer. He's looking for the murderer. Daniel said to him, don't kill the wise men. Take me to the king and I will tell him the meaning of his dream. Bold words. Ariok told, uh, quickly took Daniel to the king and said, look at this. This just makes me smile. I have found one of the captives from Judah, who will tell the king the meaning of the dream. It wasn't him that found it. Eric was found by Daniel, but Eric is immediately taking responsibility. He wants to be good in the eyes of the king. I have found, verse 26, the king said to Daniel, also known as Belshazzar, which was his Babylonian name, Daniel being his Israel name, Belshazzar being his Babylonian name, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? So let's just pause there just for a second. The scenario again for us in our Western 2021 mindset is very difficult for us to understand the enormity of being brought forward towards the most powerful man in the world, arguably, at that time. He's brought forward, he's probably in his late teens, at best, early 20s, young adult, And this this in itself is just an unbelievable scenario. That the king is listening to this young man. Daniel replied, There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians or fortune tellers. That gives you a picture of what their culture was like at that time. Who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God... In heaven, who reveals secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream, confidence, I like it, and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. So here's some things that we can see just from this passage. The first thing I want you to notice is Daniel's courage combined with honesty. In four words, there is a God. He has stood in front of the king whose declaration over this kingdom, this culture, is that there are many gods, many, many gods. We're going to talk about this in just a minute. Of which, of which the God, the I am, the God of Israel, our God, is not one of them. And so he's literally stood in front of the king, immediately pointing out the, the, the contrast, the two forces, if you like, coming together. You've got your kingdom, King Neb. I've got my kingdom, the kingdom of God. And my king, my God, is going to be the one who shows you your dream. Not your gods, not your wise men. And so he puts these two cultures, God's culture, and the culture of Babylon that we've already said is our culture. We are Babylon in so many different ways. He's, he pits them against one another. There's no wise man, but there is a God. There is no enchanter, but there is a God. There is no fortune teller or magician, but there is a God. It's God's ability versus culture's inability. Your culture, King Nebuchadnezzar, cannot give you the answer that you were looking for. But I know someone who can. He's the God of Israel. The God. The great I I am. No wise man. And he pits these two powers against one another. He's proving, and he will do in a minute, He's proving the the, the inept and the inability of the present culture of Babylon to meet the needs of not only the king, but the culture itself. You see, our culture... Loves the idea of kingdom, godly kingdom. We celebrate love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and self-control. All the wonderful attributes that you can read in Galatians 2 that reflect the kingdom. We want that kingdom. You don't need to believe in Jesus to want that in your life. You want the kingdom of God. You want all that God represents on earth. You like the side of Jesus that we read about of him being loving and kind and merciful and gentle. We... We like that Jesus. We like that kingdom in our culture. Most people that you come across have got no problem with Jesus. They think he's a good teacher, which is ironic because if you actually look at his teaching, he's pointing to the kingdom of God and the fact that we need to repent of our sins. But people would say he's a good guy. He's a good teacher. We have no problem with Jesus in our kingdom, the kingdom of Kelowna, if you like, the kingdom of the West. What we have a problem with is the king, and as, as, we've, as we've looked at this, to quote one of the many books that I've, uh, that I've been quoting to you, Disappearing Church especially being one of them, that our culture wants the kingdom without the king. So what Daniel is saying here is, I will give you, I will show you what God's ability is. And I'm going to point to the king. You can see as you look at our culture and the way that we are going about life that no matter how hard we try to make it look good, it's not working. We still face the same issues. We still face the same tensions. We still face the same difficulties. Your streets, your neighborhoods, your communities are still struggling in this kingdom, desperately looking for the answer in, in wise men and in magicians and fortune tellers, in astrology and in, in all these different areas. You might go, I haven't been to see a wise man and an astrologer. But this is a picture of the things that we look to in our world To bring us the answer that we need, the tensions that we have. King Neb has got a a tension here and he's looking to his culture for the answer. And it's inept. Daniel says, There is a God. Only just like a superficial glance at our culture and our world, a quick read of the news, a listen to the radio, a watching of the TV. It's not working. The, politi- the politics, the social stuff, the, 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 the protests, the arguments, the te- it's just not working. And as we continue to look to the culture that is the problem, as we look to the culture for the answer, we get caught in this cycle of never really moving on. But there's a God. There is a God, Daniel says. Who will give you that answer? You see, Daniel is saying, look, don't look to your own culture, King King Nebuchadnezzar. Look to God, the God that I'm going to tell you about. And no matter how hard we try and make our culture look good, it still has underlying issues. Now, I've asked permission to share some of this story. And these are one of the stories that I tend to get in trouble with because I know that I may be quoting things that are in your home right now. But one of the things that, that I, I just makes me smile are the, the classic inspirational quotes that you see on on the walls. And I know as I'm going to say this that some people are going to get quite indignant. Please just remember that you hopefully love me a little bit as your pastor and I'm just trying to prove a point. But the, the inspirational quotes, I read a couple of inspirational home quotes. Things like, A house is made of walls and beams, but a home is made of love and dreams. Isn't that lovely? I'll give you a minute just to wipe away those tears. Another one, uh, live the life you imagined. These are, these are things you can put on your wall. Live the life you imagined. And, and you, you've got things sometimes you see home, and that's it. We put that on, put that on our wall, and, and, and sleep in our bedroom wall, and then relax on our bathroom walls. I always think it's quite funny when I see this, is what would happen if I spent a few minutes swapping some of these around. Maybe, maybe take the relax one, out of the bathroom and put the sleep one in, in the bathroom, and people' just be falling asleep, and then that wouldn 't end well if they 're having a bath, but anyway, but these inspirational quotes they 're really quite superficial they 're not actually going to bring change to the home. I think about the chaos sometimes that is in our house, especially when you've got little kids. Like, we, you know, our, our kids are, are more grown up now. My, my, my 15-year-old is sat right back there, and so I did ask him permission for this. But I remember Jack, when he was little, like, like him drawing, he wrote Jack on the wall, then denied it. wasn't me. Like, he was about three or four, he just started with his letters, and it's like, it literally says Jack, and you're denying it. I mean, if he'd been really smart, he would have written Luke. That would have thrown us off the scent. Uh, you know, it, it's just like no matter how, what quotes you put on the wall, chaos can still happen in the home. And, and you know what? That happens. That's family life. That's okay. But it doesn't matter how good our culture looks, the chaos that underlies it is still there. And it doesn't take very much for it to bubble forth. But Daniel comes and says, look, don't look to your culture that is the problem for the answer. Look to there is a God. Daniel, notice this, and this is the key point here. Daniel stands humbly for truth. He stands for truth. He's honest. He humbly, before the king, points to God. And we can do that in our everyday lives, Christian friends but it might be that you aren't on that journey yet as a Christian. You haven't come to a point where you've submitted your life to Jesus and Jesus is Lord of your life. And, and I would challenge you to look at your culture and look at your environment and look at the habits and look at the practices and look at the things that you are looking to for the answer. And I would ask you, is it really bringing the answer that you want? But Christian friends, there is a way for us to humbly stand on honesty and truth and point to a God in the midst of a culture that is against him. Daniel stands before King Nebuchadnezzar and humbly points to God. He says, there's a God. I'm not going to take part in what you believe is right, King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to stand on what I know to be the truth, which is God. I know there is a God. And we're called to do the same, whether it be quietly, with humility, asking if we could pray for somebody that we work alongside or somebody that we meet. It's a beautiful thing to offer prayer for somebody, especially in our culture, that people are actually intrigued by that and they want that. And if they say no, pray for them anyway, win-win. What a beautiful way to stand on truth, to taking a gentle and respectful stand on truth. You don't have to water down truth because you're humble in the way that you stand upon it. You don't have to water down the truth because you communicate it gently. Truth does not have to be shouted, truth can be lived out, truth can be spoken. Gently, like Daniel, respectfully. And Paul, if you remember in Acts 17, respectfully speaking to the people in that city, pointing them to an unknown God and telling them the gospel. But he did it in a respectful way with humility, which is exactly what Daniel does here. Look at this next part, verse 30. And it is not because I am wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. What a contrast between the two cultures! You got Arioch saying, "I found him. It's all about me. I'm pointing to me in the hope that I will get achievement and impress you, King, so I can further myself." That's the culture that Arioch is part of. And then you got Daniel saying, "Actually, it's not about me. It's about God. See, I don't come to you with the answers." In order to make myself look good. I come to you with an answer. In order to make much of God. I'm not looking to impress anyone. You could argue this was an opportunity. missed, Daniel. You had a moment right there. You stood before the king. You're speaking truth. You could have said. Yeah you know what king. You really need me. I'm the one bringing you this interpretation. Don't you forget it. I'm the one that hears from God. That's probably worth something. I'm the one that is the influence here. I need the popularity, I need people to look to me, because that somehow fulfills the needs that I have. That's what Arioch was doing, representative of our culture, representative of Babylon. Look at me, look what I've done, look where I've been, look what I've got, look what amazing I am. Please notice me, give me recognition. That is our culture. And then you've got Daniel, who says, actually, King, it's not I'm wiser than anyone else, I just know a God who is. There is a God. You see, this as well is countercultural. Our culture is all about building ourselves up. Where the kingdom of God is about building God up. About making Jesus look good. About Jesus being the king. About Jesus being the one that we point to. And this is a wonderful opportunity for us to continually point towards God. And as we look at our own world and look at our own lives, as parents we have an opportunity to teach our children... As business owners, as colleagues, as friends, as, as, as sons and daughters and mums and dads, we have an opportunity to see the goodness that God has brought into our lives and continually point to Jesus as the one who is the initiator. The Bible in, the itself says that your ability, your success, to make your ability to make money, your ability to be a good parent, your ability to be a great colleague or business owner is given to you by God. That you have given, it literally says, the power to make money. And Daniel isn't about to take that about on himself. And that is so countercultural. It will make people sit up and notice as if your lens in life is such that when something good happens to you, you immediately point to Jesus. That when somebody sees something in your life, you immediately point to Jesus. That you can quietly and humbly communicate the truth just by reflecting glory to God and Jesus rather than absorbing it ourselves. And that is countercultural. Most of social media is built on the idea of look at how great I am. Love me more. Whereas the kingdom of God is all about how great God is and love Jesus more. See, Daniel has been called to be in a culture to point to a more powerful kingdom. Daniel's place is in Babylon. But his job is to point to God who is more powerful than Babylon and brings freedom. To Babylon. So he moves now into explaining what this vision is all about. In your, mission, in your vision, Your Majesty, you saw standing before you a huge, shining statue of man. Remember, the king has not told anybody what his vision and dream is. He told the wise men of Babylon, you've got to tell me my own dream, then I'm going to listen to you. So Daniel now is stepping forward in a gift that God has given him to uh, to not only see dreams, but interpret them. So he's taking a step of faith that again is difficult for us to understand. He gets this wrong, he dies, that's it. But even in dying, he still stood in front of the king and said, there is a God. And he's not your God, Nebuchadnezzar, he's my God. He's not your culture He's my God. And let me show you how powerful he is. It was a frightening sight, Daniel said. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its bellies and thighs, Its belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron. Its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. That was the dream. Now we will tell what the king, what it means. I love his confidence. That was your dream, king. It wasn't, did I get it right? There was, that was it. I know that was it. Now I'm going to tell you what it means. Just imagine the king's response in this. He broke my tooth then. Imagine the king's response in this. He sat there, maybe reclining on his throne. Think about what Babylon was like. Listen to the first couple of sermons. He's reclining. He's the most powerful man on the planet. He's got this young adult stood in front of him who's just told him that his God is no good But the the, the young man's God is the best. He's like, all right, get ready to die. Tell me what the dream was. And as Daniel's telling King Neb the dream, I would imagine that King Nebuchadnezzar is kind of shuffling around in his throne. And by the end of it, he's probably leaning into Daniel, wondering what's going to happen next. Daniel could have stopped there and got whatever he wanted. Think about that. He could have stopped right there and said, That was your dream. Now, King Neb, how about you give me something before I interpret this dream for you? He had the king in the palm of his hands. This was a moment that Daniel could have taken advantage of. He could have used it for his own self-glorification, yes, but also promotion. He had the king. The king must have been like, that is it. This is the guy. He has not only told me what my dream is, he's now going to tell me the interpretation. That's an amazing moment. The most powerful man in the world listening to this young adult who has stepped forward in faith to speak, stood on the promise of God, pointing to God with humility. Now, we will tell you what it means. Interestingly, it refers to we. Likely that means that his friends are there as well. The three guys that we've read about, and they stood right there. You see, Daniel's not even about taking the interpretation glory upon himself. We will tell you what it means. Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The king kind of gets puffed up. This is a good start. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you the ruler over all the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. So there's this hidden message in this though. Yes, you are the most powerful king on the nations. You see how respectful, again, Daniel is being? He's not insulting, he's not attacking, he's not yelling, he's not pulling down. It's easy to pull down. He's not doing any of that. He's actually respectfully honoring the king. He's respectfully honoring the culture that he's living in. He's not trying to pull it apart all the time. He's like, it's wrong, but I'm, and you know what? I'm going to go about my life respectfully. I'm going to speak the truth. Respectfully doesn't mean stay quiet. Respectful means going about your Christian life in a respectful way. He's not pulling down, he's lifting up. But there's this beautiful section here. He has made you. He has given you sovereignty, power, and strength, and honor. He has made you the ruler. So actually, king, you're only king because God decided that you were going to be king. You only have sovereignty, power, strength, and honor because God decided to give you that. And we mentioned this in the beginning uh, of the series Quoting from a book, Thriving in Babylon, that God is in control of who is in control. So with all the changes that are happening, be secure in the knowledge that God is in control. He made them. He's in control. He knows the beginning to end, the Bible says. But the king is the head of gold. Next, the silver chest and the arms, they point to Persia. They point to Persia. And by the way, you'll read at the back end of chapter 1, Daniel sees this happen. Daniel sees the Persian Empire taking over Babylon within his lifetime, around about 70 or so years. He sees it. So he's saying, look, king... There's going to become an empire stronger than you coming after you, and and you know the Bible scholars agree that that is Persia. And then he goes on, he says, and the stomach and thighs of bronze, that's representative Greece. These things are not really argued be, between historians and Bible scholars that this is what they represent. The stomach and thighs of bronze is Greece that comes after Persia, that comes after Babylon, Alexander the Great specifically, and then the legs and the feet of iron and clay pushes into Jesus' time, and arguably into our time as well. That's representative of Rome, the thinking of Rome, the thinking and the land of Rome. And it it kind of, it's, it's, it's an interesting picture you've got of this statue, but it's essentially the different empires. Pretty straightforward. And then he moves on, he says, But in contrast, during the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. Notice Daniel's language. He's going from quite gentle now to really forceful. Again, respectful, but forceful. That will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness. Not just smithereens, not just dust, nothing. And this kingdom will stand Forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands, Daniel said, that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The picture of rock in the Bible is constantly used in reference to the kingdom of God and especially Jesus. This especially Jesus. And so you've got this you've got this world, this kingdom, this culture that is broken. And then you've got a kingdom of God and the rock comes from the kingdom of God, representative of Jesus and actually then, and the Bible refers to Jesus as the rock constantly in Luke chapter 20, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces anyone whom it falls will be crushed Jesus is referring back to this prophecy that Jesus and the kingdom of God is the rock that will destroy these different empires, and don't just think physically, think about the mental side of it too, the the principalities the worldviews that Jesus, at the name of Jesus, Uh, every knee shall bow, that every empire will recognize that Jesus is stronger. See, we live in a world that is tainted by sin, and it's a beautiful world. I love C.S. Lewis's writing when he talks about the new kingdom, the new heaven, and the new earth, and I've preached about this a lot, but we have this idea that when Jesus comes back, they're all going to live in heaven. The Bible doesn't say that. It actually says that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. With King Jesus reigning on this earth. And this earth that we will live and work and enjoy will be beautiful. That there won't be any any sickness. There won't be any tears. There won't be any sorrow. That everybody will live in community forever on this beautiful new earth. And you can see some representation of it in our planet today. This beautiful beautiful planet, and yet it is tainted. And C.S. Lewis pointed out this, that he says, if it is this beautiful now, imagine what it will be like when King Jesus is on the throne, when there's no sin, there's no pollution, there's no strife. Imagine what, how beautiful. If it's good now, imagine how amazing it will be then. A few weeks ago, uh, my son Luke, who currently uh, is likely to be leading worship with, uh, with Sarah on the drive-in uh, church at 33, he, uh, he proposed to his lovely girlfriend Rachel, and, uh, and it was a lovely moment. And uh, thankfully, she said yes, and the wedding is coming up, so very exciting. But Luke and I went down to the beach. He had this whole plan, it was very romantic. You must get it from me. Um, he went to each of the places before they ended up at the beach. He picked Rachel up and they went to one place that was the first time that they saw each other or something like that. And then they went to another place, which is the first time when they actually asked, he asked her uh, to date him. And then they went to another place, which was the first time they said that they loved each other. It's just, oh gosh, wow, I'm just lumping the throat. Uh, and then they just carry on until they eventually they got to this beach, which I think was actually the first place that they said they loved each other. And Luke wanted to set a nice table and he had this idea and a picture. Aidan Federson was hiding in the bushes with a camera and it was all very cool. But Luke and I went down and I said, look, we better just go down to this beach and make sure that it's worthy of the proposal that you are about to make. So we went down to the beach and we drove up. It was like nine o'clock in the morning and we went onto this <laughs> beach and it was still a little bit of snow, but kind of romantic snow. And it was kind of nice and it was like, but there right in front of where he was going to propose was two big old sweaty couches facing the lake that from a distance you go, oh, I I can see why that would be nice in the summer, you know, to sit on a couch that somebody's dumped on the beach, you know, whatever you enjoy doing. But I'm like, oh, that doesn't look good right now. So we went down and I said, we better lift these couches out of the way because you don't want two old couches in the background of these beautiful pictures. And so... These couches had been there a long time, because when we lifted it up, two things struck me. First of all, the weight of them, because they were so filled with snow and water and everything else. And then secondly, the smell of them, because clearly they'd been used by various humans and animals for other than sitting on. It was just like, clearly somebody had used this thing for a toilet. It was just, it was like, oh. And of course, when you lift it up, it's like, it's right next to your face. It's gross. It's gross. So we lifted it, and we put it over to the side, and we got the second one. I had gloves, because I'm thinking, Luke didn't, because that's funny. And, um, and we moved them, and we made it look beautiful again. You know, our world is beautiful, but it's tainted. It's tainted with the most horrible of things. It's tainted to the point where it actually physically does stink sometimes, And, you know, to use that analogy that this is tainted, this beauty is tainted, that is exactly what our world is. The Bible says that's exactly what our lives are without Jesus. That we're broken. That we have the fingerprint of God on us, but we're broken. We're broken and we need rescuing. We're broken and we need somebody to come and clear out the trash. Not just clear it out, but actually make it nothing. You see, when Jesus, who is the rock, Comes and the Bible tells us that the stone the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. That Jesus was crushed for our iniquities, and he turned and 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 he crushed sin and death. What he's doing is he's actually making us new creations. And just like one day this earth will be created back, it will be reconciled back to the way, the perfection that God intended it to be, that God can take your life and he takes my life, that when we come and believe in Jesus and we believe that he died on the cross, that I'm a sinner, that I can't fix myself, that I can't look to the culture and see the culture change me anymore, that I need help no matter how much money I have and no matter how good looking I am or how I seem to have got it together, no matter what I've got home and relax and peace on the world of my life that underlying it all I got filthy couches that need dealing with and I can't deal with them myself and so Jesus who's the rock who clefts from the mountain the kingdom of God gave up his glory came and lived on earth fully man fully God and ultimately went to the cross and by dying on the cross your sin your shame for all who believe in him die with him and you are a new creation that you get to start all over again That's the promise of the gospel. And that is what Daniel is referring to here. That Jesus is the rock. That Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the rescuer. Jesus was crushed for your crushing. Jesus took that sin that you and I truly deserve to be punished for. We love justice when it's attributed to everyone else. We don't like the idea that we have something that needs punishing. Jesus took that on the cross and it died with him. And then he rose from the dead. And that newness of life, the Bible tells us, is given to us. This righteousness, this new way of living, is imputed onto our lives. So that when God looks at us, what he sees is his son. And we can have communion with God, the kingdom of God, the one that comes. Just like Daniel predicts. And then... I love this statement from Daniel. This is my favorite part of the whole chapter. The great God was showing, this is Daniel telling him, the great God was showing what will happen in the future. This dream is true and its meaning is certain. Drops the mic, walks away. Can you imagine the king absolutely stunned? This young man. Telling him what his dream was and gives him interpretation. And the ultimate interpretation is this. King, you're going to get crushed. There's a greater king, a more beautiful king, a more powerful king. The king who gave you the power that you have today is coming. And at his name, every knee will bow. King Neb dropped the mic, walks away. Didn't have microphones, but you understand what I'm talking about. This is an amazing moment. What's the king going to do? King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him. And he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. The king said to Daniel, truly, your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings. Yes, he's starting to get it. A revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this secret. You see, Daniel and God are now thriving in Babylon. That is the result. That is the result he promotes Daniel, we read later on. This whole chapter, in fact, you could argue this whole book, is summarized in a few words at the beginning of the passage that I read today that I skipped over. The king said to Daniel, also known as Belshazzar. That is the Daniel, the book of Daniel summed up. See, in that you have two names. You have Daniel, whose God is my judge, that's what it means. And then you've got Belshazzar, which means Bel- that was a Babylonian god at the time, is my god. You got two names, two identities, two callings, if you like, coming together in one man Daniel. Daniel and Belshazzar. God is my judge, Bel is my god. You see, Babylonia at that time, or Babylon, was a polytheistic culture. It had multiple gods. Whereas as Christians, and Daniel was the same, he was monotheistic. He believed in one God, the great I Am, as the God uh, described himself to Moses. And so Daniel is called two names because he's called to two things. And friends, we are called to two things. That we are called to God and we're called to the city we live in. The city of Babylon, if you like. That God is my judge, but I don't look at the culture as my God, but I am called to the culture. You see, Daniel was called to his culture. He didn't separate himself. He didn't get assimilated in. There was a third way. What he did is he dedicated himself to God. He showed humility. He showed honesty, and he pointed to God constantly. So here's the thing as we pull this together at the end. Daniel stands on the rock, the kingdom of God, pointing to the rock that's to come, Jesus. He does it in humility and he does it in honesty, recognizing his calling is to do that on a day-to-day basis. He doesn't withdraw and separate himself away from the culture through fear. He doesn't become like the culture through fear. There's a third way, and it was a wrestle. How do we know it was a wrestle for Daniel? Well, you can read uh, just before the section we read this morning that he spent time in prayer and praising God. He wrestled. He felt a burden over what God was calling him to do. He felt a burden being in part of that culture. Remember Paul going into Acts 17. He was burdened. It says his spirit was provoked within him. Friends, and I say this very, very lovingly, but very truthfully. If you want to know whether you have been assimilated in If you want to know whether you are just like the culture, it really hinges on this point. Is there a wrestle going on inside of you? Is there a burden that is inside of you? Is your spirit provoked when you see what the culture is doing and what the culture is taking part in and what your neighbors... Not from a judgmental point of view, because that's where Christians tip over into actually sin. Sitting in self-righteous judgment against the culture. That's not what God's called us to do. God has called us, according to Jeremiah 29 and then all through the scriptures, to be part of the culture without becoming like the culture. We're not called to withdraw, but my point is this. Unless you feel that wrestle, or if that wrestling has stopped, if you've stopped asking the question, how do I respond to this situation, whatever that situation might be, as a Christian, you're assimilated It's hard for me to communicate because it's truth. And I'm trying to do it in the Daniel kind of humble way. But if you're not struggling with our culture anymore, it's because you are our culture now. Let me say that again. If you are not struggling and wrestling and burdened and provoked by what you see, then it's because now you are part of that culture and it's just become normal for you. Or worse, you're you're that guy who's like, I found Daniel. It's all about me. You see, that tension is part of the Christian life. We're meant to live in the culture, bless the culture, seek the prosperity of the culture, pray for the culture, while at the same time feeling provoked and burdened and wrestling with it. Because it causes us to pray. And so a really good start when you start thinking about how to be a Christian in this post-Christian culture is to follow the pattern of Jesus. Sorry, follow the pattern of Daniel. You need to pray and give... Be a good start. That we need to stay in community like Daniel. He didn't withdraw from community and especially friends now. Do not withdraw from your church community. Do not withdraw from your Christian community. Stay strong. Connect with us online. Come to what you can come to. Call up. Pray for. Go for walks. Stay in community just like Daniel did. Live with humility. This is how to be a Christian in a post-Christian culture. Just like Daniel. Stay in community. Live with humility. Stand on honesty Point to Jesus every possible way you can and then God will promote you and kings will listen. Kings will listen that you will be given influence. You are needed. You are called. Your culture needs you. Let's not shake our finger at the culture while wagging our heads in despair, in self-righteous judgment, separating ourselves and those that we love away from it. Let's actually learn how we can humbly present the truth with force and determination at times, but still with humility. Let's seek its best. And can I also suggest that not only does your culture need you, your neighbors need you, your family needs you, your place of work needs you, they need you to be a praying, thoughtful, humble, Jesus-pointing-to person every day. They need that because they are desperately looking for an answer that they will never find it. But Jesus has it. There is a God. You have that. Your culture needs that. But can I also say to you, you need your culture. Because when you start getting burdened, and if you don't feel that burden, that is a point of confession between you and the Lord, and you ask the Lord for forgiveness, and you then start asking him to change your mindset, that you will actually start feeling a burden. We need that wrestle. Then we need that tension. We need that Because it causes growth. It causes us to seek God. It causes us to seek renewal. It causes us and humbles us and we start seeking out Jesus because Jesus is the only way that we can actually learn and figure out how to live in our culture without it becoming part of us. Daniel did it. And notice in the prophecy, and I haven't got time to expound on this right now, but the rock starts small and grows. The kingdom of God starts small. Does that sound familiar? Those of you who read reading New Testament. The kingdom of God is small, but it grows. So it starts with a simple step for you and me. It starts with a simple step. Tomorrow morning, putting time aside, praying and listening to the Lord. The kingdom of God starts small, but Jesus in us. It, it grows. It grows. So this is a really good rally call. This is what we read in chapter 2 of Daniel. Next week, we're going to press on to the next story in chapter 3, so please read ahead. Also, tomorrow night, Willow One Prayer. Um, So that's February the 1st. Tomorrow night, we've got uh, kind of the final part of 21 days of prayer. It's been a wonderful time. So uh, put time aside to come online for that at 7 p.m. But this week, put time aside to listen, to pray, to think about your humility. Think about whether you stand on truth. Think about how you stand on truth. God, in his blessing and mercy, will cause kings and people to listen because he has the power and ability to do that. Let me pray for you. Dear Lord, what an incredible passage. I just love the way that your word comes alive with some simple study. And Lord, my prayer is that this week is that the people who hear my voice, whether it's live or recording or at some point in the future, that Lord, that they would be inspired to seek you, the King of Kings, the rock. And that, Lord, we would stand on that rock with surety and faith, knowing that you're in control, that you're in control of who is in control. What a beautiful promise. Lord, I pray for those who are looking to the culture to save them. Lord, I pray you would draw them to yourselves. That, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself. That, Lord, that they would come into a saving knowledge. That they would submit and ask for forgiveness for the sin in their lives. That Lord, they would come to know the King of Kings and experience that new creation. And, Lord, for my Christian friends, Lord, I pray that we would dedicate ourselves like Daniel dedicated himself. And Lord, I pray that this week there would be opportunity for us to humbly stand upon the truth that we have been lovingly given. And so Lord, I pray that as we kind of sense the tension and the the wrestle, that Lord, that you would just continue to reveal yourself beautifully in us and through us as we go into this week. We ask these things in your precious name, Jesus, King Jesus, we love you. Amen. Amen. We miss you. It's strange speaking to an empty room, apart from I've got Nicole at the back and Chris Newfeld there. I can just about see him through the lights. And Jared and Jack on media. And that's our physical church right now, and that's kind of odd. But you know what? We're believing that God can use his word and use his church and, and go on our website and see everything that's going on. We're doing some amazing things. But we do miss you. We love you. We're looking forward to gathering again. I know Nicole is desperate to to make a fuss of you, and and I am as well. And, um, you know, we're praying towards that. But in the meantime, let's represent our God well. And if there's anything we can do to help you pray for, then please connect with us. There's a button up there somewhere online. You can click on that. We'd love to be in touch with you. If you want to know more about becoming a Christian, we would love to answer that email. And, uh, and literally see your life changed. It's a wonderful thing. So God bless you, and we'll see you next week.